0: Now you listen to me, Miss Peggy Gravel. You better calm yourself down before I haul off and smack you upside your wide, wide head. We killed your husband, and I ain't your maid anymore, bitch. I'm your sister in crime. I have come here to chew
1: bubblegum and kick ass.
2: And I'm all out of bubble gum.
3: Astro Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics,
4: musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Carey.
2: I gotta, I gotta rip my homie, Mike Hunt.
1: Michael Hunt. Oh, my lives next to my cat. Hat. My cat. And Jack Michael Niehoff Jack. Yeah, right. That's what's up. And trust, and, trust and believe they're my favorite trust people. Oh, trust and believe they're big guys. Okay, I got to ask you. Did you have a tri- uh, like an itchy trigger finger to want to order that Trust and Believe shirt that was oh. out there? Did you see that?
5: Yes. Trust and believe, and he's got that horrible. I don't understand how he seemingly detaches his lower lip from his jaw and like thrusts it out into space.
4: Ugh.
1: All right, enough with the gothic king cobras. There's never yeah. enough. Goth- yeah. <laughs> what do you
5: mean, enough with?
1: <laughs> it's all we talk about, literally.
5: I know. I feel. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> I said to Derek, "Man, me and Angela and you and Seth are really bonding over got the king cobra. I love it every time my messenger dings because I'm like, oh, what did king cobra do? I <laughs> know.
2: Well,
1: my main problem is is this. I'm a part of this uh group on Facebook called Podcast Town, and Podcast Town's associated with the podcasts, illogical contraption, kissing contest, pool party, radio, and junk food dinner. And it's all a bunch of periphery podcasters as Mm. well that are involved. And they're all mostly, you know, fans of underground cult films and exploitation and just stupid hijinks. And it's just a place for people to go and, you know, joke on memes and all sorts of other nonsense. And there's this thread of Gothic King Cobra. It's how I found out about it. uh, They are constantly updating not only with like, commentary on every new video if you don't want to watch it you can just read their comments as they're going through it but then but then they find all of the back like all the stuff i send you guys that you're like whoa where'd you find that it's all from podcast town oh damn so like the pictures of his family and all that shit yeah
2: (laughs) that's really his family that's not a shop legit no fucking yeah, I way! I thought it was
1: a stop, too. <laughs> nope.
5: He looks so normal. No, his, dad, his dad's
1: a photographer.
5: Oh, I After love that we dance. know so much about him. I just... Oh.
1: Maybe at some point maybe I break gay fabe and I bring Gothic King Cobra on Astro Radio you know
2: Z. That would be so would amazing. amazing.
5: Cool oh my god. Wait, Astro Radio Z is about horror and cult stuff and all things that are cool.
1: Well, yeah. but what do we talk to Gothic King Cobra about? About his cheat and about metal. his magic? What do we
2: metal?
5: talk to Gothic King Cobra
2: about? He's a metal
5: fan, man. Derek. Chi balls, cigarettes, cereal. Summon sex jeans, dolls, sex dolls, <laughs> summoning thunderstorms—five topics right there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, and the way he goes about on
6: about it—that's a month's worth of podcasts.
1: Yes. Yes. you know that's true, and it's also oh. what about what about and you paprika. know he's he makes mm. black magic with wands. Yes, he made that sweet wand for Ozzy Osbourne. Yes. That was oh awesome. yeah, yeah, rock and roll. <laughs> I
5: always get I always get so excited when I see that mm. I see a video of his come up. Like, oh, he posted this only 15 minutes ago in real time. I want to it's like I feel like I'm in real time with him. Like he really does exist on on the same plane as I do. If we had him on Astro Radio Z, or you had him on Astro Radio Z. That would be unbelievable.
1: But you do realize I and I thought about this. While we're sitting and watching him sitting and talking to a camera, we're essentially doing the exact same thing, only not talking. We're sitting on a couch or sitting yeah. in a chair, watching some other dude sitting on a, in, a smoking chair, in a chair, smoking profusely, losing his hair, drinking Cobra Mist, which, by the way, Cobra Mist was man. actually pretty beast.
5: It really was. We're drinking right now. We're having some of the leftover blue moons. Derek and I weren't able to get... As drunk on Cobra Mist as we wanted to because we both started feeling kind of icky. Turns out there was a natural gas leak in the cabin that we were hanging around in. Well, you okay, know. so what well, we're yeah, we, yeah. we
1: we went to a retreat every year. Uh my good friend that I and longtime listeners of Astro Radio Z will know who this is, Robert Poole. Yeah. He used to run uh indie horror TV. On the internet which was kind of like a a streaming internet channel for independent underground horror films Mm -hmm. and exploitation films and he has this thing in eagle river wisconsin every single year where he gets all of the regional uh filmmakers uh to come together in the middle of the woods at a cabin we drink we we have bonfires we bullshit and we we talk most years there's lots of screenings and trivia and prizes and all this stuff this year got rid of it because IndieHorror.tv, unfortunately, is no longer a thing. Yeah. So now it's been pared down to just like a friends gathering and get away. Yeah, no, we did,
5: did trivia and had bonfires and cookouts right. and
1: Right, um. right. But uh, one of the cabins, the main cabin where every single night we would go into and they had this garbage bag filled no, it was with a movies. Pillowcase. Okay, yeah. pillowcase filled with movies that everyone would grab a movie out of. And then we would all show the movie that we had. <laughs> And then we would all vote on which movie we were yeah. gonna watch. You
5: picked it out of it blindly. You didn't you couldn't you had to just pick blindly out of the bag and then we would have a debate about which movie we wanted
1: to watch. <laughs> and in the first night was Madman.
5: Yeah, we watched Madman. We watched it, several movies. That, it was something Madman else, was let me tell you. But
1: anyway, that cabin where we were doing these things, yeah, there was a natural gas leak. And we were just like the
5: pilot went out on the stove by accident. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and we started getting sick, even though Uh you you took that gothic that okay, so gothic cobra mist is gothic king cobras concoction, drink of choice, which is blue moon
5: and mountain dew
1: put together, (laughs) which surprisingly isn't that bad of a drink.
5: Really? No, not at all.
1: But I didn't. I didn't. I like filmed it. I filmed you drinking it for the first time. We were all yeah. standing around.
5: I was trying to chug the whole well, thing. Well, I thought
1: you were just going to take a sip. No. You 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 guzzled the entire fucking thing in one, drink, one gulp. Yeah. I was surprised.
5: I was ready to get effed
1: up. Yeah, and we didn't.
5: <laughs> no. Instead, we got effed up on natural gas which yeah. i don't recommend yeah
1: yeah <laughs> but every single year listeners if you uh are in the you know the tri-state area or feel like taking a trip up to wisconsin to the Northwoods, my friend robert Poole yes. puts this little shindig together and his together, wife, and his wife, annette, his wife and annette really yeah. great people yeah um and you could come hang out uh this year there wasn't very many uh filmmakers as most years it was uh myself john patta who directed uh pity and dead weight and better off undead and our bud tony wash out of uh chicago who has a a litany of movies in post-production hell right now um in la and that's a story i'm actually going to have tony on the show this week i'm going to talk to him this weekend and i'm guessing it's going to be mostly a bitching session because the poor dude has just been run through the ringer with uh producers that are taking his movies away from him and they all look Mm -hmm. great if you're not familiar with who tony washes he he made the great uh uh, nazi zombie film a chance in hell he also made it's my party and i die and i'll die if i want to (laughs) and um he's a super great guy and super talented, and right now he's actually the producer of the Bloody Disgusting.com's, uh series, World of Death, mm-hmm. um, which you can catch every single week on BloodyDisgusting.com, and uh, he's got a lot of stories to tell you. I, I know we've talked a lot on Astro Radio Z about kind of the hardships of, you know, making independent underground films on no budgets and stuff like that, and uh, Tony's going to kind of bring... A different perspective into it because he's making movies that actually have budgets and the the hardships that come with that and sometimes unfortunately um those movies get taken away from you and uh it's going to be an interesting talk because tony is not one to parse words so uh i'm looking forward to to that but tonight dear listeners We are here to do another John Waters episode. You wouldn't have known this by the (laughs) 15-minute preamble about Gothic King Cobra that we just had. But tonight, we're going to be doing another John Waters episode on Desperate Living. But before we start this episode, I want to do a little um, house cleaning and uh, uh, talk about uh, the show itself. Right now, if you haven't noticed, the show is kind of... Uh, scaled down, you haven't seen it pop up on your feet as much. I have not had the opportunity to be recording any shows lately because my life has gotten crazy busy. And unfortunately for the next couple months, probably until 31 days of horror in October, you may not see much more than a couple episodes every month, maybe one or two episodes um, that I'll keep doing these John Waters episodes every single month uh, because I want to keep going with this. And one a month seems great. (laughs) Seems perfect for me. That's (laughs) what I used to do. Um, But right now I, I do plan on getting back to the weekly thing when I finally have the opportunity but unfortunately, or fortunately for me right now, I just have a lot going on um, with uh, projects and work and being a father of three and not and at I just can't do a podcast every single week. So please don't unsubscribe. Keep listening. Keep me on. As always, as I've always said, Astro Radio Z is not going anywhere. It just has to kind of fit into my life. Seems how I'm not pulling together a Patreon page and begging you for money or any stupid bullshit like that. I do this because I like to do this and it's fun for me and it's fun for the people. Hopefully it's fun for the people that come on my show. I can't really speak to that, but uh, at least they say nice words to me. Um, so, so that's what's going to be happening soon. Also, in the coming month, uh, just was put on their Web page. I'll be going on junk food dinner. Uh, next month talking about black roses so i'm super excited Mm -hmm. about that so uh Mm -hmm. go subscribe to junk food dinner those boys put together a hell of a podcast always super fun great dudes and uh so i'll be going on there next uh, at the end of september i believe that's going to be happening so Let's stop with me having to bore you all with this kind of garbage and let's move on to Desperate Living tonight, folks. And it's the same crew of people that were on the last episode. We have Jeremy from the Hunnic Outcast back on the show, our resident John Waters expert. How you doing tonight, my fine friend? Oh, you can kiss my royal hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Mr. Gonzerific himself, Andrew Shearer. How you doing, my friend?
4: I'm good, man. Hey, it's cool to be back. I'm you, it has been cool going through these in chronological order. It kind of just hit me though they're damn like I never watched these, you know what I'm saying? Like in the yeah. order that they were made. This has been a real cool experience. So if I don't forget to say so at the end of this thing, thank you for doing this. It's been awesome.
1: Dude, it's been really eye-opening to to sit and watch these in order like this and to discuss them because it's eye-opening to see the progression of John Waters as a filmmaker. Yeah.
4: I never got, I mean, I didn't see them in order like that. So this has been a really, I didn't, I didn't think about it when we started, you know what I'm saying? Like I, it didn't dawn on me what that would be like. Um, but it's been really cool. So Mm -hmm.
1: I agree. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it as much. I knew you would. I knew you would. You and I have that kinship where we both are insanely huge John Waters fans. So yeah, man, I've been just... talking about this since the beginning of Astro Radio Z. So I'm glad we finally got around to doing this. Instead of doing one John Waters episode like we originally talked about, splitting it up like this, I love it. And people yeah. seem to be digging it. So I, I'm, I'm happy that the listeners are really digging it as much as... The people that are participating are so.
4: Just a couple of white men looking
1: at tampons. Now give me that
5: bag. I don't want no white man looking at my tampons. Full mouth, and you say I'm your sister in crime.
1: Speaking of my sister in crime, <laughs> Amanda, are you here? How you doing, Amanda? I am fine and miss angelique bone is back hi, hi. <laughs> and last but not least mr baltimore himself mr hoity toity walks on roses seth powlin of celluloid is back how you doing uh, sir i'm doing good man how you guys doing oh doing great <laughs> see this is why you know it, it's it's fun for me Not that it's not fun for me to do a weekly show, but it's kind of more fun for me to do a show every couple weeks or once a month or whatever. Because when we come back, I feel like I'm a little reinvigorated. I'm not spread so thin to sit and have like I'm I'm actually excited to do an episode. (laughs) So enough with me bitching about having to do a podcast that you guys don't have to listen to. Mm -hmm. But you do anyway, and I'm very thankful. So here we are. We're going to talk about John Waters' fifth film, Desperate Living.
3: It's contagious. It's outrageous. It's John Waters' Desperate Living, starring Hollywood sex goddess Liz Renee. Oh, that
0: support feels happy.
3: Susan Lowe as androgynous Mole McHenry.
0: If you don't give me a such change, I'll cut off your peter and throw it on me myself.
3: And Mink Stoll as hysterical outpatient Peggy Gravel. Get
0: out of here, you stinking piece of flesh. Yes,
3: they've all had a lot of desperate living.
0: God. Find them, feel them, suck them, forget them. Is that your new motto? Oh! I'm a man, Muffy. A man trapped in a woman's body.
3: Follow the dead end road to Mortville, USA. Look
0: around you. It's a village of idiots. Save her and fuck her.
3: Mortville, the bad taste town. <laughs>
0: Dinner's sir. I'm really not that hungry. Are you infectious, honey? I don't know. Must a lot taste funny. Watch the
3: most perverse sex acts ever brought to the screen. Oh, oh, oh. Harder. Ah! Harder. Ah! Step into the world too desperate to play by the rules
0: is isn't very pretty what a town without pity can do.
3: Desperate Living, featuring Edith Massey, the egg lady, as Queen Carlotta. Hi,
0: stupid. Hi, ugly.
3: Don't miss this rabid feast of cinema decadence from the creator of Pink Flamingos, John Waters' Desperate Living. It isn't very pretty. Coming soon from Saliva Films. Now,
1: Seth... Do you want to tell the fine listeners what is Desperate Living about?
6: Oh, Desperate Living is about a woman named Peggy Gravel, who's an upscale uh, psychopath of sorts, fresh out of the loony bin, who, along with her large housemaid Griselda, murder her husband, and run away to the town of Mortville, which is a derelict absolutely disgusting rundown haven for all sorts of perverts and killers. And uh they have to deal with the Queen of Mortville played by Edith Massey and all of her crazy laws and uh try to take over the town, basically.
1: Yes, it is the last hurrah of early era John Waters. It for me this movie feels like the culmination of everything that came before, and it's an atom bomb explosion of just nonsense and hilarity. I absolutely adore Desperate Living. From the beginning of the film, it starts with this scene where Mink Stole just got let out of the loony bin. And she is just shrill and screaming the most ludicrous and insane dialogue at children, at her maid, <laughs> at her husband, at the phone, at everything possible. And it is seriously one of my favorite scenes of any movie, period. Andrew, what do you think of this beginning with Mink Stole? It's exactly as
4: described by you, man. It's epic. It's unbelievable. It's exhilarating. It really, it takes my breath away when I see it. This is the best. It's 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 the best thing that you will see from Mink Stole in terms of performances because they didn't have Divine to give it to, so they gave it. He gave it to her, and it's also in terms of his dialogue writing, a amazing moment it's just you have to see it to know what we're talking about it's just blistering from start to finish i it is one of my favorite things in cinema period i'm right there with you on it
1: it is literally line to line to line for the vast majority of this movie so fucking Hilarious! Like, this is the first time Amanda's ever seen Desperate Living. What did you think going into this? Because I know you've been kind of timid about this early era John Water stuff because of, you know, the content and offensive nature of how much he wants to push boundaries. In this one, I could almost see you rolling your eyes slightly when this started. But did you have fun with, when this started? Did you think, oh, no, here we go again?
5: No, I was rolling my eyes because I was laughing really hard. Like, what? Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. That was so funny. Mink stole in this very beginning is like so hysterical without being intentionally funny. Like obviously it's a, sat, it's a satire of a psychotic break or a psychotic episode. A psychotic break doesn't really exist in medical terms, but it's a satire of someone who's in the kind of fraught with psychosis. And, um, I've experienced that firsthand, witnessed it firsthand, I should say. I've witnessed it firsthand in my line of work, and um, it's just really funny. It's a really satirical way to present it, and it's so pressured and fast, and uh, it just cracked me up, man. I was losing it. I was laughing left and right. She's
0: go home to your mother. Doesn't she ever watch you? Tell her this isn't some communist daycare center. Tell your mother I hate her. Tell your mother I hate you!
5: Then she calls her kids sodomites. I never thought you would rape your own sister! That's just so ridiculous <laughs> and over-the-top and delusional and corny, and it's mixed in with this, this hysterical maid who is just the funniest thing I've ever seen, and I just love the first 20 minutes of this. It was just hysteric. It was just
1: hilarious. It just To me, it, the, it's, the opening scene sets up the movie perfectly because it just steamrolls from yeah. there. It, it absolutely steamrolls from there. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Andrew said, this is the first movie of these films that he's done where Divine is nowhere to be found. Jeremy, what happened to Divine at this point in John Waters' uh, over? There are several
7: stories. The major one was because of Pink Flamingos and female trouble. There were people that didn't know the difference between Divine, the actor, and Divine, the person. And what happened was when Divine was threatening to kill the reporters towards the ends of Pink Flamingos, people were getting nervous and scared because they thought, "Okay, Divine is really like this. And Divine would try to go over them and you know, try to be as nice as... But, but people were nervous about that, and more people got more and more nervous because they couldn't tell the... You know, John Waters always said that he wanted to take the drag queen and have it like Godzilla because all the drag queens were dressing like Miss America. Fine was okay with that for a while, but he wanted to show that he couldn't just be a homicidal maniac. So when he had the opportunity to star in a couple of other movies like uh, Lost in the Dust and also do a nightclub act... John Waters decided, OK, well, I've got Mink Stole, and he had his friend Susan Lowe, as you know, from the last movie, uh, Female Trouble. She was a receptionist. Um, Divine was supposed to come in as this butch lesbian and pretty much be what Divine was in Multiple Maniacs. But because, again, Divine wanted to do other things, John abide. And that was pretty much the way that it had to work. The thing is, Mink doesn't like this character so much. He thinks that this character is way too toxic, as we pretty much know. Yeah, we're laughing that she had a mental disorder, and this was a big thing. You either are laughing at it or walking away from it for a long time, and there was never any talk about why she had the brace. She, She didn't quite understand that. But John admitted that this was the last movie that he wanted to do with the rants, but he also stated that this is the movie he did sober, Because a lot of his friends were either dying before or during production. And we'll get into who passed away in a little bit. There there are two characters in here. So John just decided, you know, I've done everything what I could with the rants. I'll do it. And the other interesting side note is during the screening, um, the press from Good Housekeeping walked out after the first 10 minutes. I think around the time... <laughs> that on, Playboy, Playboy loved it. Now, an interesting uh, bit of trivia with the kids, of course. Uh, this is the same thing as the asshole, where they did get the guy liquored up and John and crew shot him separately and then had Divine and the party guests shoot their reactions separately. Here, the kids are shot separately, but the way that right. it was done on the audio commentary was... The kids pretty much were, were playing and, you know, n- n- nothing really was happening. Nothing was really.
1: Well, it's not sexualized. No, no
7: it's, just, it's just that the problem is, is that you have to understand something, too. Besides the child labor laws, the way that this was shot and done and the way that John has always been the smooth salesman, you had to make it very clear of what kind of movie you were making, especially since people were aware of his previous movies. About all the drugs and sex, especially um, when we'll get into the baby in the refrigerator in this movie, because that was a big thing, by the way. a huge thing. But John had to make it fast, cheap. Also, his parents, who were strict Catholics, they allowed him to shoot in the house and break the window. You know, the insurance would pay for it. But the thing was that he told them you can never see any of my movies because why would they want to? And he's happy that they died without ever seeing them. But this is probably between this one and I believe Maniacs where – yes, this is where the cavalcade of perversions were shot. If you know that field where the kids are playing ball, that's there. Yeah, That's the beginning of the film. Yes, yes. That's a – yeah. And of course that's John's parents' house. So that's pretty much it. The rest of it with Gene Hill, John said he wanted a 400-pound person to play the maid. And they said, well, actually, I think he went to 300. And they said, well, we have something like between 4 and 450. And that's when Gene Hill came in. Very nice woman, died a few years ago, but she didn't know what a stunt was. So when she, she's attacking Gravel, when she's attacking him, she really was hurting
1: him. Now, that scene is absolutely hilarious. So so as we said before, as Seth said before, um, the whole thrust of the plot is that – they are in the beginning there they're at the house and uh, Griselda and Mink accidentally kill her husband and Griselda <laughs> comes up with a broom and it's Back off,
0: oh, oh, oh. are you alright Mrs. Gravel did
3: he
1: hurt you? And she's beating the shit out of him with a broom. Just
5: immediate, doesn't question anything. Okay, it's gold.
1: Yeah, I love everything about Griselda and Jean Hill. Yeah. Just makes me laugh so much. Angelique, what do you think of her?
2: Uh, it was like a glimpse into my future. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll go neon green in shed with you. <laughs> yeah, neon green sequins and and killing people by sitting on them. I'm I'm there. You know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, everything about her just was hysterical yeah. and funny. And that's like Jeremy said, this is that same style of acting that we've seen up to this point, where most of the characters are screaming their yeah. lines, they're mm. overacting. Um, it's it's so over the top in camp that you can't really take the offensive nature of some of this stuff as seriously as you would in other contexts. But uh, these two characters, the Mink and Jean play so well together in the be- beginning of this film. Seth, what, who would you say out of everybody since how we don't have divine anymore in, in this film, who is probably the most striking character in a desperate living?
6: I think it has to be uh, Mink Stole's Peggy Gravel. She's just so absurd throughout the entire movie.
1: I am really caught between the, the lead two and Queen Carlotta, played by Edith Massey, uh-huh. who is the queen of Mortville.
0: Welcome to Mortville, ladies. I read in the big city papers that you are wanted for murder. The murder of a certain Mr. Broadley Gravel. We only- really? You are interrupting my flow of power. Give these peasants a little dinner, Lieutenant Wilson. I bet they're hungry after a long day of breaking laws.
1: Now, Mortville is the town that Gene uh, and Mink stow Me away too, to. Yeah. Uh, after they kill the husband and this perverted cop pulls them over <laughs> rolls, all points bulletin out You're trying to escape the Mortville
0: I never heard of no town called Mortville
1: Well you should have You belong there It's a special town for people like you two People who should be so embarrassed by what they've done I just might let you go there that is if you cooperate what do we have
0: to do for you share Shitface. shit face sit on that car hood you'll see I've got something to show you first
1: <gasps> and uh and, and Seth what is it that uh the cop has them do
6: well, he wants to uh, try on their panties and get a really <laughs> wet French kiss. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
7: every
5: one of my wildest dreams on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, that that
2: scene was. I mean, we've seen Divine get raped now what eighteen times.
1: Well, no, every <laughs> but, movie. That's something Amanda keeps saying yeah, is all the raping that goes on earlier. the
2: the cop scene to me was the most violating, horrible. I was just like, oh my God, no.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why? I don't. To me, that was the least of the violations.
2: Do we need to bring
1: up the rosary job again?
5: No,
2: God. That was consensual.
1: The lobster? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that cop scene literally has me. I can't breathe watching that scene. (laughs) Because that dude is so. Fucking funny! I ordered them
2: from Frederick.
0: <laughs> ah, these are big ones. A little plain for my taste. Yeah, I think I'll slip them on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And he's on
1: the ground, rubbing himself, going, oh, oh, oh. God, I fucking love that scene so goddamn much. I can hardly stand it. Andrew, I mean, is there any one scene in particular, this movie is so ridiculous and over the top. Is there any one scene in particular that really stands out beyond that opening sequence that we already gushed about? I mean, it just keeps building dude. I mean, I'm sitting here
4: laughing just for me. I haven't seen desperate living in a long time. I meant to rewatch it the other night, but I was like, Oh, maybe I'll check out the commentary. Cause you know, Liz Renee is not alive anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll maybe the, I don't know. Maybe the last time I watched it, she still was, um, so, uh, I was, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't really, I didn't get the fold thing, but man, you just, you just don't forget. And there's that guy, all of that's so gross. He goes, I'm going to get my big business into these. I'm like, I'm like this
3: big business,
4: says that shit? but it just, it just keeps going and going from there. It's like, you just, from one crazy shit to the next, it doesn't yeah. stop, you know?
1: Yeah, and the commentary track that you guys are talking about is a very strange commentary track because it obviously feels very like disjointed. Like uh, Liz, Renee, her stuff that comes in was obviously pre-recorded. Yeah, they're not in the same room. Now. Yeah, they're not in the same room. So it jumps between John Waters and her, and she's just basically telling the story of her life while John Waters is actually talking about the film. And, and it, to me, feels very disorienting. Like, mm-hmm. I would have rather well, try, just had it. Try reading interview. one of her books. <laughs> What's that? Try reading one of her books.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I have not had the pleasure.
4: <laughs> she, you can get the audio version if you want a real awesome experience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I bet. So Liz Ray is the is the girlfriend of Mo who runs the house that our two murderers, uh, Mink Stole and Gene Hill, stave off to and uh there this movie out of everyone that we've watched up until this point probably is the most gay uh centered film with the most gay characters Mm -hmm. up until this point you see this movie play a lot actually at Um, LGBT film festivals more than just about any of his other films. I I hear about this one more than anything else. The
5: four leading characters in the movie are in homosexual relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, like literally 80% of the primary characters are gay.
1: Right. And they all play really well together. And uh, Jeremy, has John Wanders ever spoke to how this film more than any others is more gay themed than um, some of the films up to this point. He's never really talked about it because he doesn't feel that he needs to label,
7: you know, it, it all goes back to who he met growing up in middle school to high school and beyond. And, and that's just the way he's always been. He's never really thought of uh, Cookie Muller being a lesbian or who's bisexual. Or I, I think what it just came down to is that it was his friends who wanted to be in the film, who he knew he could write for, who he knew who could be you know, worthy of the part. And as for Liz Renee playing Muffy in this, he had seen her in a couple of TV shows. Again, if you listen to the audio commentary, she talks a lot about her life. He went to a burlesque show I think she saw one of his films and said, sure, I'll do it. And she didn't think much else about it. I mean, she's playing straight and Susan Lowe is playing straight, but the script had them, you know, pretend to be lesbian lovers and they didn't think much else about it. Although she did. And Liz Renee did say that she didn't mind playing the lesbian character. But there were a couple things that she didn't think were appropriate to say because they just felt like it was just labeling but when it also came down to Mink and then Jean doing, you know, they were just acting, they didn't, really didn't think of this being a lesbian couple. It's just that the way that this film was written and the way that this film is shot, you have it, it, it's, it's a combination of a twisted fairy tale and all those exploitation women prison movies that were in the 70s.
1: That's pretty much how it came down to. That's so, interesting. I've never really thought of it as that, but you're 100 percent right. And I also think that, you know, we've talked about this before. John Waters is, is one of his favorite films of all time is The Wizard of Oz. And Mortville, it very much is like the land of Oz. <laughs> he,
7: says that. He, he says that this is I mean, when we get to Mortville, it is a rundown fairy tale. He said that as a kid, he always liked to. Either wear the hook from Captain Hook, and he would wear it during dinner time. And his parents really didn't say anything; they thought it was a phase. He said that he always hated Glinda, but he loved the Wicked Witch of the West. And though he kind of felt bad then when the Wicked Witch died, like where are the monkeys going to go? Even though he didn't, you know, John Waters didn't realize that the Wicked Witch kind of had this thing that the monkeys can only bathe her three times. But the point being is that this is a twisted fairy tale, and the Pie Man, of course, is supposed to be simple Simon the Pie Man. So that's pretty much how it all works out. And yeah, Muffy, I guess it's also supposed to be that how John Waters liked to see Howdy Duty and got to be on Howdy Duty. So that's pretty much, and, and the sets, of course, are just cheap. I mean, everything is pretty much cheap. But this is probably Edith Massey's, dare I say, best role in anything that I've seen
1: her do. Are you gonna fight this? Are you gonna yes. fight this with the the egg the egg lady, Amanda? Uh, are you gonna are you gonna fight this?
5: There's something so ridiculous about the egg lady that draws me into her that I think I am. I think there's something about the egg lady that's <laughs> it's so captivating to me. I wanna be her! Edith Massey, Edith Massey as the egg lady makes me want to be her. Why? i don't know
1: and more than queen carlotta who who makes all of the residents of mortville dress backwards and walk backwards for an entire day (laughs) and then call them stupid
5: yeah Yeah. that's one of the funniest parts of this whole movie to me is just the first time you see everybody walking backwards i was dying i was laughing so hard
1: and then her leather daddy guards carry her out on a throne
0: hey moron you got your clothes on backwards This is
5: fun. Hi, stupid. Hi, ugly. <laughs> I think I like her in this role because you have you see so much of her. Yeah. You know she's a huge focal point of this film. And, and she definitely
1: lives. Unlike she is just eating it yeah, up the entire yeah, time. Yeah. All four teeth of her.
5: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh, uh, Edith Cassie.
7: I mean, there's so much to say about this poor woman. And she was 14 siblings. She was number 15. The parents didn't know what to do. This is the early 1900s. So they actually the parents just drove from like town to town and took like three or four of the kids and just dropped them in front of an orphanage or a foster home and just drove away. And Edith just kind of like would run away from her abusive foster family and just go from like. State to state, and ended up in Baltimore as a barmaid, and that's pretty much how she met John. But I, there are there always these stories between Mink and John that they loved her as a person, but they were so frustrated that she couldn't remember lines because she, she, there were times she was chemical dependent, and I, I think it kind of shows. But the other thing was, like, she would also memorize lines, but then the stage hands, and that's when it'd take even longer. And people make fun of her, and she just turned to go, like, well, how come it's so funny, asshole? If I'm up here being an actor and you're not. So she always had like a spark to
1: her. Well, there's definitely charm to her. Andrew, what do you uh, think about Edith Massey?
4: This is awesome, man. I mean, I think you can see her getting better and better from each movie. You know, and uh, I know that um, John with this one, because of uh, the nature of the production, had to get everything in masters. There's very few close ups. And uh, she had to nail those lines. And there's one time where she totally just flubs one and he leaves it in because, you know, they're burning up film. But he is not going to break up those shots, you know. So it's, uh, you know, whenever you see as a director, whenever I get an actor in a single you know, in a medium or wide doing a whole tirade like that, I tend to not want to cut away from it just to show everyone they really did it. And there's a lot of scenes where Edith really knocks it out. She does a great job in this.
1: She, every single take, every single shot, regardless of what it took to get her there, it is gold. Mm -hmm. Every single moment she is on screen in this film. Seth, what do you think of Edith in this one?
6: I think she's a lovely, lovely queen. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not that I would want to be a peasant in her kingdom, but. No, I would.
4: (laughs) How about one of (laughs) the Lever Daddies?
5: How about one of the leather uh, daddies who gets to service
1: her? Uh, let me see those balls. Let me see. Yeah. The yeah. Balls. Oh, oh, let's also let's also talk about how every single last person that has sex in this movie screams, "Get
3: it! Get, get it! it! Get it! Get yes. it! Get it!" That's not what
1: you
4: say. That's what I. Say.
5: <laughs> this That's is what the movie you learned to have sex from, wasn't
2: it,
1: Andrew? Yeah, including how to dress for it. Um. So, Angelique, who's probably your favorite character in this film?
2: Oh, man, I really love mole a lot. Yeah. Um,
1: Pre-sex for, change or post-sex change? I mean, it's, <laughs>
2: it's still mole, and she was just trying to, you know, be good to her woman and give her, you know, the man she craved. But – uh it backfired really bad no. really bad i mean That's it's like she, it's change. like it's like she went to to fucking pinhead for her sex change
1: or alpo <laughs> yeah, or alpo or, or that dude from frankenhooker
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> the nearest Jelly, i
1: don't know from <laughs> the
4: Plato fun
1: factory oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny so she goes so mo later in the film wins the lottery because the only things that uh mink and gene yeah. were able to take to mortville was uh their her dead husband's uh checkbook and a lottery ticket and six bucks which yeah. mo professes
0: six bucks hey you are a rich one a lottery ticket
5: well i'll
1: take that and i'll win it in <laughs> what happens mo goes, breaks away from mortville um she does she,
5: win she does
1: now. win and uh what does she do she goes and buys a ton of uh, clothes and a ton of stuff for liz renee and then goes and gets a sex change so
5: by holding the surgeon up at
2: gunpoint, at you gunpoint. Just do it. well i mean that's the way you know sexual reassignment surgery should go i
5: think
1: <laughs> So, so you Keep get a around. dick, yeah. You did get a dick, and that day you're able to have sex. Yeah, right.
5: Well,
2: I mean, you're able to do anything, whether or not you should is the question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, it didn't work out well because uh, Liz Rae in in a, the second rape scene of the film <laughs> is screaming and not happy about this Frankenstein cock. Who can blame her? That was mangled.
5: <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
6: She wanted it fast, you know. <laughs>
7: yeah, get the doctor at gunpoint. I mean, what do you expect? It, it, it's interesting too with Susan because when they ugly her up, her daughter didn't recognize her. Her husband didn't want anything to do
1: with her. It was really disturbing. Well, that makeup is really yeah. disturbing yeah. that they have on her with all those warts, warts and and stuff.
4: Oh, what about she- her wrestling outfit with that monster vagina? Oh, let's I talk about that.
1: Let's talk about that awesome oh flashback God. scene. Andrew, go
4: ahead and set the stage. Well, they just, they just flash back to her life before she was there with, with uh, Muffy, and she was like some kind of prize fighter wrestler type. And uh, there she is in the ring with crazy hair and this outfit, and there's just this monster vagina on her. Who
5: it, vagina?
4: Exactly, mm-hmm. and there's this, he, she totally whoops the guy, and rips out his eyeball, and then someone
1: steps on it. <laughs> she
2: stomped on it, yep.
1: <laughs> it's
7: fantastic.
1: And that's the reason she's in Mortville, because she killed the guy and had to run away. Yeah, yep. dude. But uh,
7: The story is also awesome. Mm-hmm.
1: Go ahead, Jeremy, tell it. Okay, with Muffy, uh, her husband is drunk.
7: They are driving home from a party, and apparently the babysitter had all these people come over, and I love this, that the babysitter is having sex with a guy, and and there's a party, and and Muffy's trying to throw all them out, and the babysitter's like, I'm tripping because she can't find the baby, and of course the baby is in the refrigerator. Now, (laughs) the way that this was filmed, this took about half a minute, They quickly put the baby in and then, you know, Muffy, you know, Liz Renee took it out and they went cut and that was a baby's okay, Nothing happened. But anyway, back to the story. The babysitter is upset that she's not getting paid. So Muffy decides to hit the babysitter in the back of the head and drown her in wet dog food. And then (laughs) apparently the husband—I don't know—Muffy uh, gets in the car, she starts driving away, and the husband is chasing after because husband's drunk. She rolls up the window of the car and she starts driving away, and apparently she killed him as well. And she had to run the morphine, but she's always going to be known as the wet food dog killer.
1: <laughs> I love that part, the part—the part of that scene that that slays me. now its not the the, the kids that are, that are all doped up, naked, having sex, and not worrying about the kids, and they're all. All kind of over the top and then they get drowned in the dog field it is the husband who gets caught in the window as she's yeah. driving away and the shitty dummy yeah. that, <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is hanging on the car and she drives away that i one of my favorite things listeners in all films if you haven't gotten this yet you may have gotten this through the pair uh, the poltergeist three episode is that I love shitty dummies in movies. <laughs> it is literally every, time there's a shitty dummy in a movie, oh, I'm No, sold. I didn't
2: think Lara Flynn Boyle did that bad.
1: No, it was, ah, waka waka. <laughs> um, <laughs> you gotta watch that again. <laughs> no you don't you don't <laughs> but I love shitty dummies and that shitty dummy of the husband as she drives away is top shelf top shelf
5: I couldn't understand why you were laughing so hard you just were losing your mind at if it if I
1: had a super cut of shitty dummies in movies <laughs> I would watch that daily <laughs> why,
4: why, why isn't that a thing
1: I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up. There's got to be shitty dummies falling off buildings, shitty dummies going over cliffs, <laughs> shitty, dummies, shitty dummies being thrown down elevator shafts, anything. I love shitty dummies. I
4: got a video to give you, man. From when we were kids, we had a shitty dummy character in some of the videos we made. <laughs> and we tortured that thing all the time until finally it was just a burned head.
3: <gasps> oh, <laughs>
1: Please <laughs> tell me you did a you did
4: a weekend at Bernie's knockoff with that shitty. Dummy. It was a weekend at burned head. Ah, oh, wow. I'll, send you, I'll send you the video because I did do a supercut of those. Oh, that's that awesome. Because when we were kids, they were by far the most popular. But yeah, we had our own shitty dummy as like a recurring character.
1: Oh man, listeners! If you know of any supercuts of shitty dummies, <laughs> send them to me or post them on the Astro Radio Z Facebook page or on the Twitter. I need them. Or if you want to make one, definitely send it to me, and I'll just watch it endlessly. I I, I won't tell you if I have pants on or not, but just rest ah! assured, rest assured, I'll be laughing quite a bit, quite a bit. So, anyways, let's get back to Desperate Living, folks. Um, so so the film, like we said before, literally is just a succession of hilarity, hijinks and just escalating nonsense mm-hmm. until the point where our two uh, titular characters end up in very different places than where the movie started Ming Stoll ends up uh, getting in cahoots with Queen Carlotta and Jean in a scuffle in a, in a shitty house that they were in gets killed in this scuffle as the house collapses on her yes.
3: mm-hmm.
7: stupid Killing Jean was dumb. I don't know why they did it, but – oh, yeah, now I remember. Yeah, because uh, we didn't talk about this. We, we forgot almost about uh, Princess Cuckoo. Yes,
5: yeah, right. Princess Cuckoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Played she, by Mary uh, and
7: Vivian Pierce. And
5: her boyfriend, yeah. boy, Herbert. Her lover, Herbert. Yes, Herbert. Herbert.
7: Yeah, Herbert the Garbage Man because apparently Queen Colada doesn't want her uh, dating the Garbage
1: Man. Her they, 38-year-old daughter. Yeah.
7: Yeah. So yeah, that's right. So apparently they end up meeting, them there uh, he's shot immediately, but she still believes that he's alive. That he's just sleeping, and she kind of hides out in minks and Jean's house, and, and Mink doesn't want any part of it, so she calls the guards. But the guards thank her, but they still arrest her. And then apparently Cuckoo is captured, but then Jean Hill is trying to fight off the guards, but. I don't know how this, this house is made of paper mache, but she's killed. (laughs) (laughs) It's like all of a sudden she starts screaming and it's kind of like the trail on pink flamingos with the cellophane sound in the background and everything. Next thing you know, she's dead. I I don't know how else to explain this, but next to, I guess, maniacs, this is a little bit tighter, but I, I, it's a little bit stronger but again, Waters admitted in the commentary that he had to stop doing this as well because people around him didn't know what he was really like in real life and they thought he was a very articulate man. But, you know, how many times could you write people getting raped and, you know, stuff like this? So he admits that when he wrote it sober, it wasn't, he could understand why people weren't taking him that seriously. He was kind of upset, but he kind of knew that he had to change the game. The only thing else that I can say was is that people around him that he was very close to – like Lockery, as I said in the last podcast, passed away during the shooting of this. He was supposed to, I think, play the husband, but he died of a drug overdose and Turkey Joe as well, the the sheriff shit face. And the other one, um, the one that says, you know, you can kiss my royal hemorrhoids, he also died during production of this – his stomach exploded due to um, a combination of drug and alcohol overdose. Holy shit. Yeah. What, what happened? Well, you can see the beer gut when he's dragged in and you, you could definitely see. And John pretty much turned around and said, you know, this isn't fun anymore. And I, and I think this is a curtain bow. And what better way to do this than a
1: fractured fairy tale? Yeah, this movie is so over the top.
5: Well, I said to Derek when we first started watching it, it's pretty clear that the production value of this movie is significantly better, and I think that speaks a little bit about like what you were talking about, that the movie feels a little bit tighter, it feels more pulled together. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, like, Mortville, there is no lapse in continuity as it kind of pans and moves around between shot to shot and stuff like that everything is over the top and ridiculous there's like not anything white anywhere (laughs)
1: you know very colorful
5: it's really colorful and it's really colorful everywhere nothing was overlooked
1: well and it also to to round back to this whole notion of fairy tale toward the end mink stole literally becomes the wicked witch of the west no
5: she's sleeping beauty's evil stepmother. do you think that well, yeah.
1: it was a
2: cross between yeah. the, the wicked stepmother from snow white and maleficent yes. yeah
1: oh, okay i i took it as i i took it as the wicked witch oh, no. but it, i think it could be a combination of well, all yeah, those probably. things
5: i mean any really um uh negative nefarious Kind of woman i suppose
1: yeah Yeah. well and you know of course the there the the final uh big jab toward the everyone in mortville all the sins queen carlotta she uh hooks up with mink to give the town rabies
5: (laughs) best plot ever through her the frothing bite of her only daughter her
1: only daughter which is which was a combination of rat piss yeah. And I forgot what Throw was a rat it.
5: piss in Bats. there for good measure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got
7: gat pus, they got yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it all goes back to backwards day. John Waters said that, you know, when he would go to camp, they had backwards day. You would walk backwards, you would have breakfast or dinner, and he said he tolerated for about fifteen minutes. So he put that in and of course Colada, she's walking during backwards day and you know, they throw a mud ball at her, and that's when she decides that she wants to give everybody in mortville rabies. Like, she's just had it with the community. So,
5: yeah.
7: uh, as Luck and coincidence have it, it's like, Mink, like, well, I turned your daughter in for, you know, she ran away in, with Herbert, and I'll be the new, make me the new princess. And Claudia's like, okay, we'll give you a trial run, which I love. He's like, well, can you give the town rabies? And she's like, yeah, no problem. I know, just who I want to give it to first. I thought it would be Gene Hill, but they actually gave it to Cuckoo, but I'm not – I was kind of like, what does she really have against Cuckoo? Why? Because Cuckoo – oh, yeah. I, I think it's because she was upset that Gene Hill was going to leave Mink for Cuckoo. Was that it? Because she has that rant, go on, find them up, film, fuck them, something like that. I,
5: I, I, well, think she I, th- knows. I thought she was angry because um, Cuckoo wanted to marry Herbert, wanted to marry a peasant garbage man and not live up to her royal name.
1: Well, and that well, because of that, it was like an act of treason. Yes. So she decided yes. to execute her by having yeah. injecting her with the rabies right. and then having all of her guards. Gang she rape wrote, her.
5: She, yep. wrote um, she wrote fuck off mummy on the yes, on the uh, mirror <laughs> and ran away to be with Herbert.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Right.
7: Why is Why is Mink ready to give uh, a cuckoo? I mean, is was Mink jealous of Cuckoo? Did she think that Jean, before she died, was going to run off with Princess Cuckoo? Because I wasn't. No. 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 She was directed by
5: Carlotta. Yeah. She was directed by Carlotta to give Cuckoo rabies as the as the first rabies victim. Mink was just mad that that Cuckoo was in the house with a dead body. That's
7: that's, all. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
7: Well, whatever it is, this is probably even though Mink hates this one role because it's you know, she says it's toxic. I mean, even she admits that what she was saying was like but her costuming in this toward like when the ugly were up and they, you know, slick back her hair or when they put her in that, you know, wicked witch costume, she never looked better, I felt. Especially with the liner. There was there was something about the way her you know, her face was pulled back, or whatever. But you could tell that she was definitely this was her movie.
3: Hmm. Mm.
1: Andrew, who'd you think
4: was the best character in this flick? I'm I'm uh I'm with Muffy, man. I think Lizzie <laughs> May is so hot. I mean, I sat there like you can see through all them clothes, <laughs> man. And and she just oh that push. she just even though she got done up by Van Smith, the ugly expert, and everybody in this movie, the name of the game was just to make them repulsive. Even he could not Even by putting big bruises on her Even by throwing roaches on her naked ass Nothing stopped her from being just dynamite to me. See,
5: she's- and I, mm-hmm. I see Muffy as being the only character. Well, and Cuckoo the princess, but I see Muffy as being the only character in this movie who doesn't look ugly by any stretch of the imagination. Her hair is always done relatively nicely. She always has a full face of makeup on. Her clothes are see-through, but they're supposed to be pretty sexy and.
4: Well, i think a, the
1: like clothes- a bath, cur- uh, like yeah, bath well, she's wearing
5: a bath curtain at one point. Mm-hmm. Looks good curtain.
1: to me, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i well i think of of any character edith massey is the one that's done up to be you know the, yes the best looking yeah. the most regal of them all yeah. as the queen she looks great in all these ridiculously colorful outfits now let's talk about the actual style and production of this film andrew uh from a technical standpoint uh do you feel up to this point, this is probably the best production that he's put together?
4: Yeah, dude, it's unbelievable. I mean, they got this whole field of this guy that they knew, and he, the guy let them build an entire freaking town there and a castle. In addition to that, they had an entire um, uh, top of an office building that they built uh, all their sets in and stuff. It's just unbelievable the leap that he made. I think this yeah. was like a $65,000 movie or something like that. And all all the costumes and makeup on top, everything was made because it's a fantasy. I can't, right. even now I think about it and I go, just knowing what all went into that. There's a great book uh, Robert Mayer did called Low Budget Hell. And it's one of the few books written about the making of John Waters movies that's not written by john you know i mean so you get this neat outside perspective and he was a production manager on that thing and man the more you know not to go into it because that's kind of you know read the book but like i have so much respect for the amount of work that went into it and what the actors and everything must have went through it's no wonder that these people were able to yell at top volume and get these really like excruciatingly emotional top level performances because they were really in an intense situation
1: yeah, I've I've also read that uh, some of the conditions weren't very great <laughs> for the no. interiors, like the that uh, that upper that they shot all the sets in was actually kind of in squalor, and so, it
4: was right by a traffic light, very noisy. So they had to shoot at during red lights only, and you know what I mean, because otherwise the sound would pick up the the trucks get gunning it and stuff. I mean, it's like I said, you know, read the book, but the more you know, the more you just go like. But it is on screen, even without that. Look look at uh, – what was the one before, The Female Trouble? Yes. Just up to 10 with this one in terms of production, you know, sets, costumes, uh, makeup, everything is just unreal. Even now, if someone made a low-budget movie like this, you'd bug out because you think about what um, uh, Nick Zedd's Geek Maggot Bingo – remember, he, he built all the uh, sets out of cardboard in his apartment or whatever. Right. Beautifully hand-painted. You can't tell that it's all just his apartment this is just it's to me next level stuff and still kind of unprecedented no one would, no one would do this they would do you know all cd green screens
1: and stuff absolutely it's let's just talk about queen carlotta's place just so garish like mm-hmm. the colors are so vibrant every inch of every space just has colors and textures and things going on. Huge paintings of serial killers of Charles Manson and Edie Amin.
2: Yes, the Hitler painting. and Oh, my God. <laughs> I lost it. When I saw that. I was like, oh, my God, what the hell?
1: <laughs> it just every inch of this film is something for you to look at. It's almost overwhelming yeah. at times. Seth, what do you think of it? I think overwhelming is a great way to
6: put it. Uh, there is absolutely something in every inch of the screen in every set. Uh, just tons of set design and props going on. Uh, Edith Massey's castle is, like you said, ridiculous. Just velvet everything, food everywhere, trays <laughs> of marshmallows and uh, cheese curls and pizzas oh yeah <laughs> that she just feeds the birds hanging out uh, at the window oh hey, little birdie <laughs> want some pizza birdie?
5: want some pizza <laughs>
7: <laughs> yeah she has all the it, it's amazing because I love the line reads like when they kind of have their orientation and Koada just says like I'm not in charge of your head." your happiness, your living expenses, your finances. And yeah, they're all pretty much the peasants that live in squalor. And somehow, I don't know how she's able to, I mean, they never discuss how she pays off the police or anything. Like we saw the uh, dashes did in, um, in multiple, no, not multiple, uh, female trouble or however they do it in pink flamingos. But here it's like a lot of just has like tons of pizza and donuts and, she can't finish all of it. She tries to get into the birds. It, it, it's definitely one of, again, the, the line reads for Edie is just phenomenal that we see her go from the barmaid to, you know, in Pink Flamingos to Aunt Ida, which I still say is my favorite character. I think out of all the Edie Maddie, Massey characters, Aunt Ida is probably the best one.
1: There's, there isn't anything about this movie that is subtle or or within good taste whatsoever Mm -hmm. and honestly for for the bang of buck this movie delivers all of the charm that we've come to know watching these films up to this point of early era john waters if you wanted in one package I think Desperate Living really embodies this early era of John Waters to the T. And um, let's go ahead and wrap this up and let's go down the row and let's kind of give our our final thoughts as to Desperate Living, the movie itself, and in relation to uh, the movies we've seen so far, because after this point, John Waters' movies start to go in a very different direction. Although I still think polyester is part of this early film package, it it definitely goes in a different direction than this. This For for me, this is the last hurrah of the decadent punk rock John Waters. Now, there's still punk rock going forward in John Waters because I think that's just in his blood. He's just he just the kind of rebellious filmmaker that just doesn't want to conform whatsoever. But this film has so much energy and is so in your face that um, it is literally like an atom bomb, as I said before. So, Amanda, what is, go ahead and give your final thoughts on Desperate Living and anything else you kind of want to talk about up to this point? Your John Waters experience.
5: Desperate Living is by far my favorite up to this point and I think it's because it's um raunchy without being overly offensive like overtly offensive to me and it's campy and it's over the top and it's loud and it's um pressured if that makes sense and um so I absolutely love it we just we just got to this very end scene of the movie where Queen Carlotta's been uh, mutinied and cooked like a <laughs> like a pineapple ham she's got <laughs> there's she, you know cherries all over her back and it is uh brought out to the townspeople of Mortsville. but um no I really like this movie and I it's just funny and cheesy and I think that you get a really true sense of John Waters filmmaking in this film um and if you were to watch this film on its own it stands alone really well uh, you know, you wouldn't walk necessarily walk away from this. You'd walk away from it scratching your head like, wow, what the heck was that? But in a good way. Yeah. For me anyway.
1: Good. For me, anyway. So so this is your favorite film? Up oh, to Without a point? doubt.
5: Yeah, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Cool. Without a doubt.
1: Yeah. Cool. Seth?
6: Uh, I, I want to say that I really appreciate this conversation we had on it because I think it's made me appreciate the, the film a bit more than I did on my own. Mm. I was always a little bit lukewarm with it, Um, but just talking about it and everything really has made me realize that I enjoy it a lot more than I I maybe wanted to let myself, because uh, I always held the absence of Divine kind of against it. Just talking with everybody, I think it almost uh, lets the movie be something of its own, as opposed to another John Waters and Divine collaboration. Um, I think it's absolutely wacky, and a Fairy Tale from the Gutter, Uh, it lacks the the Baltimore City essence that some of the earlier films had, but it's just as trashy and just as funny and uh, a bigger film with sets and design work and all of that. And I think it's a great piece for, uh, as Amanda said, people looking for less offensive John Waters to check out. So I would definitely recommend it in that way. And I think I'm going to watch it with a a new set of eyes the next time I watch it.
1: It's funny that you say (laughs) less offensive because this film is still really (laughs) very true. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. Angelique.
2: Um, I have to just say, this is my favorite. I had not seen this one. Uh, This was a first time watch for me and I kind of enjoyed not having Divine in it, really. Um, As much as I love Divine. But this one, so story driven, and it was just the best fairy tale ever. Not to mention, you know, the very end after uh, Queen Carlotta's been, uh, you know, spit and roasted, poor Cuckoo just dies right there, and they just take her, they just pick her up and toss her. (laughs) <laughs> toss her out of the crowd <laughs> peace out
1: <laughs> that's how cheap life is in desperate living
2: <laughs> no but I, I really really enjoyed this one a lot and uh, you know it, it does kind of usher in the, the next phase as you say of, of John Waters you know we've got these nice these very pretty films but still with some very disturbing com, com, uh, content uh, left to go
1: absolutely we absolutely do uh andrew uh well
4: I, I think he went as far as he could go with divine honestly because female trouble is such an odyssey you know and i can understand why both of them at this point wanted to see if they could succeed without one another and uh of course divine did not become some you kind of megastar of stage and screen and um This was not John Waters' most successful movie up until that point. It was not well-received, really. And so, uh, of course, they were back together with Polyester. But like you said, Derek, he hit... This was kind of going out on a high note with the the punk rock style because once you hit a certain budgetary level and visibility and all that stuff, the unions are going to want to be part of what you're doing. And it just takes you into a whole... There's no way you can make films the way he was making them uh after this point so the fact that it's a fantasy and he never went back to that genre just shows that this is just it is a high watermark in his entire career and it is my favorite
1: wow i i was not aware of that yep
4: because blizzard is gorgeous i mean i would watch her <laughs> watch paint dry <laughs> It's I'm about the boobs it. It's always about I'm them movies I'm not even a boob guy I think I'm a platinum hair Wearing a shower curtain in the <laughs> kitchen uh, You know
5: Rat eating lesbian
4: <laughs> Yeah roaches crawling on your ass kind of guy
1: yeah, You're that kind of guy And I'm a, I'm a dude that likes to watch Shitty dummies yeah. So I mean everyone's got their thing
4: <laughs> Yeah if, if only she could have Thrown out that dick and uh, Hit a shitty dummy before the dog Yeah <laughs>
1: You know what? I also like when things just like spontaneously blow up for no reason whatsoever. So if she had thrown that dick out, hit the shitty dummy, and it would explode, man, this would have been the greatest fucking movie ever made.
5: I am learning so much about you tonight. You know,
4: you know what though? The the, the the dick being cut off and throwing out the window and dogging you. Uh, this isn't the this isn't the only movie that that happens in.
5: John Waters films you're seeing or just uh, a,
4: No in, in general because there's a movie called uh, Bear Behind Bars I think it is it's A women's yes. prison movie and yes. that also happens In that one if I'm not mistaken
1: Ah mm. uh, To be continued on the women Behind uh, women in prison Yeah episode we are planning At some point but um, Very very interesting I was not uh, This is interesting I didn't expect this kind of reaction With this Jeremy go ahead and round it out you know, when I first started to watch the old John Waters
7: movies after – my first one was Cry Baby, and then I saw Hairspray, and I kind of went backwards. And then in the 90s, that's when I saw *Multiple Maniacs* and Pink Flamingos, and I saw the earlier stuff. And then recently I finally got to see on YouTube Eat Your Makeup and Mondo Trash Show. I have to give John Waters a lot of credit that he's kind of – up there with Kevin Smith where he makes vulgar movies, but he's a great speaker. But John, I can listen to on anything that he does, and I've gotten a couple of his audio books. I love his audio commentaries. I, I, I don't know why they didn't put these movies on Blu-ray. They really should. I don't know if Maniacs*. I keep hearing rumors. It is going to be on DVD. It isn't. I hope it does.
1: I heard it's going to be on Criterion Blue. I hope it really, it you know.
2: Have, yeah. Well, the official see. announcement, I think.
7: Yeah, all his movies, in all honesty, really need that Blu-ray audio commentary, and I think they need to do a secondary commentary because sometimes when they re-release it, they have a new one. And I think Mink stall and and you know, uh, the Eggman, of course, we have um, George. No, um, oh God, I just I forgot his name. Herbert the Garbage Man, then George Fix. That's what it was. George Fix. He's still very much alive. I mean, I would love to really hear what they have to say years later. But my favorite one still has to go back to Pink Flamingos because it's so bold and daring. Female Trouble was a nice little you know, what-if story. Maniacs is interesting because of the last 20 minutes, even though John Waters admits that it was a little bit too long, and especially with the editing. And then, of course, we have The Curtain Call, Fem- uh, Desperate Living. And the only problem that I have with this yeah, it does work that Divine's not in it because you're not going to have Divine in everything, which is, you know, after Divine passed away, what do you expect? We got Mink. We got Susan Lull, which is great. And, of course, we got more Edith Massey. It's And, of course, we would even talk about Cookie Muller as, as Flipper in this one because she's barely in it, which is yeah. amazing. But Flipper, I love that outfit that she wears towards the end. It's like… One one leg on her pant is like a short pant leg, and the other one's just like a regular long pant leg. And I, I just love her rant because I didn't even recognize her in the beginning. But her rant about how men are just like um, biometric assholes that should be wiped off the face of the planet because she's just a male hater. Uh, you can tell that they saved all the best rants for her last they Didn't disappoint and the sets are great for the field and, and the sixty-five thousand dollar budget. The only complaint that I have, unfortunately, is that making Mink like Kenny, like they they felt like they have to kill her in every movie. Like Kenny on South Park, you know, it's like how many times do you have to kill Kenny before it gets boring? This isn't the best Mink death, but it's the more interesting one. Even she thought her getting shot in the ass and you know, having the blood shot and everything was going a little bit too far. Yeah, she said that, that that even went a little too far. But at the end of the day, is it watchable? Not as much as it used to be for the shock value. For one time, sure. But John and and Liz Renee say the same thing. It's like, okay, you know, Cuckoo got infected with rabies, and they she bit. Queen Koata, who got infected by rabies, they roasted her. They're going to eat her. They're going to get rabies. So, pretty much at the end of the day, everybody's going to be dead from rabies. So, there's really no happy ending, but I guess that's what they wanted. There are some good line reads, but, you know, it, it's on the bottom for me, unfortunately. I think the top one would be female trouble, flamingos, maniacs, and, and sadly on the bottom would be this one.
1: Mm. Oh, wow. That is interesting. Well, I have to say this. I think up until this point, it I I've kind of alluded to the fact that Pink Flamingos is perhaps my favorite of this early era. And it's still standing strong. I mean, we were talking about before Andrew and I were talking off air about how interesting this has been, this experience of us going through uh, John Waters' filmography in chronological order and how revisiting these films and talking about them are kind of bringing to light some things that we never noticed before. Watching these films and kind of seeing him grow as a filmmaker and, and seeing certain things repeat itself and seeing how each film progressively gets better and better and better from a not only a technical standpoint, from a, but also from an ambition standpoint. I, I still, I think energy wise, Pink Flamingos is such a lightning in a bottle kind of film and it makes me laugh just about unlike any other film on the face of the planet and i had said before that multiple maniacs was probably my second favorite rewatching this again reminds me how much i love this movie this movie is so fucking hilarious it's so ridiculous so over the top um from the moment it starts to the moment it ends it is, it is captivating. Like, I cannot take my eyes away from this movie. Um, I think if anyone wanted, was into Pink Flamingos, Desperate Living is definitely the next movie to watch. More if you don't want to watch the super offensive stuff of John Waters' early films, just go to Desperate Living. Because I think I'm going to agree with the vast majority of people. This is a great, great movie film, super fun and kind of a precursor to what would come just the lighthearted, like I think this is a really goofy movie I know John Waters thinks this is a really dark movie and that um, he doesn't really like it as much as some of his others but I find this movie so ridiculously goofy that I think it's, it's very much in spirit kind of like how goofy crybaby is love cry baby I'm it just
4: doesn't have that uh you know that that music that was so synonymous with with his stuff you know he he did an orchestral score he paid for one cheaply but still you know and I, I think that's one of the things that people when they think john waters they think campy they think uh but they also think of
1: that his use of
4: music and this doesn't have that
1: no it, but but the thing is the use of music in this movie takes it to that fantasy realm where yeah. it's this classical orchestral score and I think that's part of you know him growing as a filmmaker is him trying new things. And I think it's successful. I mean we didn't talk about that very much. What is the general consensus about this score? Andrew, what do you think about this score?
4: I just think it's cool. I mean the thing is with, with the music you're like you're not necessarily supposed to notice it it's a good score, you know not like not super really if you're trying to stay in the you know it's supposed to serve what's going on on screen, right? Right. Uh, That may be why it didn't get brought up just in general conversations, because um, it really is appropriate if you're trying to make a fantasy, having pop tunes in there or whatever, radio tunes is going to throw off that whole feel, that whole vibe. And uh, considering that his first movies were all hinged on music and, you know, his his use of it was so expert and it became part of his signature for him to depart not only from Divine as the, the lead, Um, and a story about a criminal but also from that you know that model this just i mean it makes it even more unique in his in his entire catalog
1: absolutely well this is it folks we are moving on next episode of the john waters films to polyester which is also another divisive film (laughs) in john waters filmography and kind of the the next stage starting in his career so i hope you guys really dug this early era john waters stuff that we've been talking these five episodes i know i've really had a blast talking through these more than anything else we're going to talk about going forward These were the films that I've been wanting to bring to Astro Radio Z from the beginning, from episode one. I've been wanting to talk about Mondo Trasho, Multiple Maniacs, Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, and Desperate Living, because I feel in the pantheon of underground cult cinema – these are essential films for any cult film fan to view. You need to see these movies. It doesn't matter whether or not they're good or not. They are important. And they, they showcase a filmmaker that is literally unlike anybody else out there. Even to this day, you don't see anyone that matches the kind of energy and just the, the chaotic sense of humor that these early era john waters films um create and and showcase so i'm really happy that we were able to do these i'm still excited to go forward and watch the more quote-unquote mainstream john waters because i mean there are still some pretty subversive films coming up Hope you guys have enjoyed this up to this point, And I hope you're excited to still continue on this journey with us. Um, it, it's, it's great to finally do a series of episodes that aren't about shitty movies that aren't about witchcraft movies or Vice <laughs> Academy movies. You know, um, it's really nice doing these. So um, anyways, let's go ahead and let's end the episode and let's let everybody know uh, that's listening to the show where – They can find my guests if they so choose to continue and dwell deeper into the Astro Radio Z universe. God, that's pompous as fuck, but I don't care. (laughs) Um, Seth, go ahead and tell my listeners where they can find you.
6: Hey, everybody. You can find me at CelluloidTerror.blogspot.com on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at CelluloidTerror for all things
1: cult, exploitation, and horror. Miss Angelique Bone.
2: Uh, well, you can find me on Facebook and you can find me and some other great cats at thelosthighway.com.
1: Awesome. Jeremy.
7: Facebook, HunnaGalCast, and on SoundCloud, HunnaGalCast, iTunes, and of course, on the Wacko Radio Network, Digital Nerdage, uh, We Be Geeks, Tangent Bound, and Wicked Radio Network outcasts and Twitter at
1: Out the outcasts And last but not least Mr. Andrew Shearer.
4: hey a pleasure as always kids loved it having a great time doing this. this is grad I'm a big John Waters fan and um, a very influenced by uh, the dreamland players. my friends and I make our own weird movies running around town you know cleavage, zombies, blood, <laughs> guns swords sexy all of that stuff erotic couches sizes, erotic couches colors whatever you want um <laughs> www.gonzorific.com is where you can buy some of the dvds if you have a little money you want to throw our way so, movies like derek's favorite the erotic couch like dr humpenstein's erotic <laughs> castle things like that or if you want the free stuff on youtube there's gonzorific channel years worth of weird ass short movies including hero cookie which was i think the pinnacle (laughs) of my john waters influence when i actually stopped trying to be that and just you know decided just to make movies that you know my own ideas i didn't outright copy them but man yeah look up the movie hero cookie if you want we went, went way too far but what do we know um also on amazon on demand a few features uh mondo gonzo fake blood the underground cinema pajama nightmare and the newest one late night cable so uh, oh and uh, october 21st and 22nd in athens georgia at uh, the cna theater we're doing our midnight movie showcase all stuff that we made over the past year i'm gonna put that out there so uh, if you're in the area or feel like driving in or flying i'll buy you a barbecue sandwich next door
1: oh you just sold me mr shearer yeah that's you worth You ticket sold me
4: Let's roll to Athens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Barbecue, it's, it's so good right there. You can smell it from the street.
5: I realized very quickly how to win Derek's hard and it was pulled pork.
4: <laughs> Is that like code for something or do you mean yeah?
3: Actual- <laughs> nope. no, mm.
1: no, literally. Actual food, actual, food. actual food. Pulled pork sandwiches. Uh, shitty dummies exploding <laughs> things in pulled pork sandwiches, my friends.
5: At any given time, we have pounds of pork loin in our freezer so that on a whim... I can make him some pulled pork if
4: he wants it. Oh, it needs good. I know some places you'd like to go, man. We got two mm-hmm. spots. Two of our favorite spots, man. It, mm. I could, yeah. Because when Henrik comes down here, Henrik Kuto, filmmaker extraordinaire from Ohio, he comes here every year for the show, and uh, always he always insists on going to one of the barbecue places. Usually two, but definitely.
1: Oh boy, you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Well, folks, I'm also going to do a slight little tag here. I want to thank everybody out there that have been watching um, our latest film, Hole in the Wall, on Amazon Prime. Um, It is unbelievable to me how every single week this movie is gaining more and more and more views um it's I didn't I I thought it would be a good place to put the film and that maybe it would um you know if people wanted to watch it they could watch it I didn't expect this much of a a turnaround on this movie I'm really humbled and really happy that uh it's finally getting out there and people are finally seeing it so thank you guys it's um it's uh, you know it's it's nice it's really nice to see something that uh i kind of slaved over for a number of years finally get out there and people finally getting to see it so if you have not seen hole in the wall yet go to amazon.com if you're a prime member you can watch it fall free or you can rent it in hd or in standard definition go hd uh, go go full hd you can see the butthole that much clearer find astro radio z on itunes stitcher TuneIn, spreaker youtube and anywhere that podcasts are found please subscribe share rate and review you can also follow us on twitter facebook and email us questions concerns or just general chatter at astro radio z podcast at gmail.com coming from me derek carey thank you for listening and i'll see you next time
0: Come on. Oh, glow little inchworm. Oh, look at those balls. Oh, Daddy, come on. Oh, look at that pelt. Yeah. Oh, come on. Oh, come on, Lieutenant. I haven't got all night. Come on. Oh, come on. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. 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 Don't bother with the head. The V of my crotch it's what needs the attention. But I can fuck like a bandit, your highness. Well, rub my safety deposit box, then. Dick for gold. Dick for gold. Oh, your highness. I'm out of here right Daddy. Go all night. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it.